Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Vasca, and today I am speaking with Kira Gardner and Ash T, the director and producer of Living with Chucky, a new documentary about the Child's Play franchise. What on earth does this have to do with social justice, I hear you saying? Well, have a listen and find out. Thank you for this wonderful film. Living with Chucky is just such an incredible documentary because it covers so much ground from the toxicity of the industry (laughs) to the history of Chucky to the family of creators and the difficulties of creating. There's a very interesting art and architecture to this documentary. And so I wondered... How much of that architecture was shaped in the editing room (laughs) when you talk about kind of the history of Chucky and how much of that architecture was shaped by design in the beginning of these wonderful conversations with everyone from your father to Don Mancini, the creator of Chucky, to everybody. (laughs) How on earth did you put all of this together? Uh, I would say it was about like 50, well, 75% of it was probably the edit, to be honest. Like, I have a newfound respect for documentary editors in particular because it's really shaping your story there. Um, but maybe the other 25% was on, on set and interviewing people about that. I knew I wanted the family angle. That's like why I set out to do it was the personal aspect of it. Cause I thought that that's what made it a bit different than your typical horror retrospective. Um, so those familial questions and kind of gearing it that way, uh, was definitely something I went in intending. But then when I was in the edit, I felt like I really needed to cover the films themselves first before talking about the impact they had and their meaning. And I was also trying to kind of, um, make a documentary that could be seen by Chucky fans who have been fans since 1988 and uh, have loved it since and people who are just discovering Chucky and maybe didn't know as much so I figured that kind of fit both things so it was really a lot of the editing and I had like 14 hours of interview footage so it was a monster trying to like organize it in a way that made any sort of sense. That's honestly not very much by documentary I know. standards I know. at all. I know. A lot of people are saying that, and I'm like, I know, but I'm not an editor, and I just editing that down to an hour and 40 is insane to me. It is insane. Yeah. It doesn't make it any less difficult. Yeah, exactly. It really doesn't. But it's I'm glad just... I an more. Yeah. yeah. I'm also a documentary filmmaker as well as a horror filmmaker, and so for me, looking at... <laughs> 75 hours on one of the documentaries I'm currently producing. And it's like, no, why did you do this to yourself? Yeah. Why did you do this to yourself? I now understand why the (laughs) Freddie documentary is an easy six hours. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is that whenever you're creating something, coming up with the most palatable version and the most accessible version of it is always so important. And I love the way that you were able to distill so much thematic content about Chucky into these hour and 40 minutes because so often people get weighed down by the minutia of the moment as opposed to talking about the actual themes, like what Chucky has meant for the queer community. I love the way that you cover that. And I love the way that you articulate that so beautifully, both in the interviews and in 
the way that you tell the story visually as well within the documentary. Mm-hmm. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how that decision came to life. Yeah. Well, you can't talk. I feel like you just well, can't you talk can't, about but yeah, you but can't, still, you can't talk about the Chucky franchise without talking about the LGBTQ community. Um, but yeah, I, I actually learned a lot uh, myself in the process. I didn't know a lot about like Alexis Arquette until I had my conversation with Tony Simone. So that was really insightful. And he added so much as like a historian to it as well. Thank God for Tony Tupone. But, uh, and then really talking to John Waters about it. It was, was really just like getting LGBTQ voices to talk about that during those uh, pieces. Because that is what matters. I don't really want to hear uh, somebody else who isn't as, as much a part of that community to really talk about it. Other than the impact, which is so uh, lovely. And Billy Boyd does such a good job as Glenn Glenda. Oh my gosh. And, um, it, and I really didn't realize how much people had an affection for this character because see, it tends to fly under the radar or people think it's too meta and this and that. And so actually getting to talk to Jennifer and Billy about their experience and their love for it. I think really helped shape that portion of the doc as well. It wasn't just like an appreciation for the character. It was the impact that it's had over the years, which has obviously just spiraled into getting gayer and gayer over the years (laughs) and in the series we have. But it really, like, it is, I feel like, the most LGBTQ. And it's crazy because I, like, discovered I am myself a part of the LGBTQ community while editing this. So I was like, this is crazy. It's just like... Maybe it made me think about some things I wasn't thinking about before. Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, and it's something, though, that I think, like, the more we become aware of the communities that exist, the more awareness we have of ourselves. Yeah. And so I I love that that's a part of your story as well. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. No, (laughs) no, you don't know what you don't know. Don't knock it to it. Yeah, but it's so wonderful sitting here with you with this Chucky doll and the decapitated head of your father. <laughs> so, I know I don't know who this man is. This this head was just here, right? When we walked in, but we can just say it's my dad. We'll we'll pretend it's Tony Gardner. Yes, we'll we'll pretend. But I just absolutely adore so many things about the Chucky franchise, in spite of the fact that I personally was terrified of Chucky as a kid. <laughs> Honestly, the movie Dolls oh, yeah. pretty incontrovertibly screwed up the rest of my life. That makes sense. And my mother kept collecting little dolls for me every country we went to. And it was about the most terrifying thing that could ever have happened to me. But watching this film made me really appreciate how much the Chucky franchise has informed so much of who I am as a horror nerd. Oh, I love that. And how much Chucky has been a part of that all along. It's really quite a testament to your powers as a producer, as well as your powers as a director, that you're able to bring everyone along for this journey. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you decided to join as producer? It's a pretty interesting story, actually, because uh, I'd, I'd met uh, Abigail Breslin on the set of Slayers, and uh, she's a mutual friend of ours, <laughs> right? And so uh, I was creating this thing called Hit Baby, a TV pilot, and Abby had brought Kira to help with the bullet wounds. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, so I got to talking with Kira, and uh, she said, uh, I'm a filmmaker, and here's what I want to make next. And I was like, okay, cool, that's a great idea. Uh, can, you, can I see some of your work? And I saw her make, you know, these all these narratives and these documentaries. I was like, oh my God, this is a brilliant filmmaker in the making. Aww. I need to get in on the ground floor of this. 
And uh, she got, had a great commercial idea with Chucky, and I was like, yeah, I will absolutely invest in this. So, yeah. So, yeah. Indie so filmmaking. Yeah. Indie filmmaking at yeah. its best. We yeah. have uh, Abigail Breslin to oh, to <laughs> which is so funny. Well, and it's so wonderful the way that you incorporate the voices of these great actors throughout the documentary. First of all, I love that you're so inclusive and you include the voices of a lot of women, a lot of LGBTQIA plus folks, a lot of people of color in ways that you wouldn't normally within a horror franchise that is traditionally mostly white men. Yes. <laughs> and so it's interesting to me to watch this and to look at the ways that you bring in all of these different voices about the different experiences yeah. that make up what it is to build this ship. Yeah. That was a that was an idea that a, a friend of ours had of getting kind of outside people to have their perspective as well, which was great. I originally didn't even consider that and so it was like who do I have access to that makes sense Lynn Shay, Scream Queen totally makes sense but you're you're right of when I was editing at first and had a rough cut without these interviews I was like wow I can't help the fact that everybody that was hired in 1988 and so on was just white men I can't change that but I really don't want a film where we just see white dudes talking the whole time I don't want that and so I was like who can I bring in that makes sense and that's in the genre. And, you know, um, Marlon Wayans, you have to know so much about horror to spoof it as well as he does in the Scary Movie franchise. And I had met him, like, just the year prior. And actually, his interview, I had, like, 10 minutes because he was on a comedy tour at the time. Oh, wow. So he was very gracious and sat down literally for the 10 minutes of free time he had that day. Um, and I had just seen Bad Hair over COVID and Elle Lorraine is a fantastic actress. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And I love that movie. Um, so I was just like, what can I have as perspective? Dan Pobenmeyer. A lot of people were like, why did Dan Pobenmeyer like pop up? And I'm like, he's a voice actor and Doofenshmirtz is technically evil. So it's a perspective, but, and it really, you're right. Like it really added a lot, I think, to add outside perspective, but people who are in the genre in some capacity and also have love for it. Yeah. Well, because the passion for both the community and the content is there. Yes. And it's wonderful when you have that whole section devoted to the family of horror, both the idea of the horror community, but also the idea of a horror set as a family and then your yeah. own family unit. Amazing. And the way they all intertwine is so lovely. Oh, thank you. It's all one big thing, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like listening to Abby, I forgot as well, you know, like Zombieland, you know, it was 10 years before they came back, but same thing. It's not as long as the Chucky franchise. And as everybody says, and how you know as well, like, especially horror movie sets are a family and then you go away. And it's just so lovely when you just get to keep doing that. Yeah. It's unique. It is very unique. It's one of the things that I think makes this genre specifically such a pleasure to work in. Yeah. And I feel like Chucky is such an icon when it comes to what you think of within the horror community as some of the iconic killers and so forth. But then in spite of the fact that Chucky has 
this terrifying place in my heart. <laughs> it is now a place of such reverence and warmth for so many people. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, somebody was like, it's so wholesome. <laughs> I don't know if I would use that word to describe it, but it is so true. It's like this mm, serial killer possessed doll is still somehow the most wholesome franchise. It is. So it weird. really is. And it makes you feel all the right fuzzy feelings. And it, it's really oh. quite lovely. But I also wonder, because I personally spend a lot of time talking about the toxicity of the industry and the way that work hours are structured in yeah. such an inaccessible and totally illogical way Yeah, on horror sets and all sets everywhere. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about some of the things that went into your thinking on that part of the film. Yeah, I think sometimes I think people get scared it's either you really talk about it or you get scared and don't address certain things at all because you are worried somebody's going to say something and you won't get a job later on because you dissed on Universal for cutting the budgets for several of the movies or something like that. And my dad was like, careful what you put in there. But I think maybe it's just a Gen Z thing where I was like, I don't care, though. That's the reality. Like you are gone for 22 hours at a time. Like there's no time to even take care of yourself. Like we're in this day and age where like the industry is preaching mental health matters and then you're still like not getting people their 10 hour turnaround time. It's insane. Mm -hmm. So to, I knew that that was something as soon as it just kind of also happened in the edit as well of like, it, we couldn't talk about horror movies without also talking about the insane hours because you have overnights for several weeks and you all turn into vampires or exactly. things. And especially when it's SFX heavy puppets mm -hmm. uh, as well, it's the hours just stack on top of each other. Because animatronics are absolutely insane, insane in terms of the level of detail and meticulous finagling that has to happen to make yeah. any moment come to life exactly and people don't that's why i also touch so heavy on the sfx and puppet side i'm just like i don't think you guys get how freaking hard it is for them to get any take with the the limitations that they have but yeah that was something that and and um hearing other people's perspectives of like dan povenmire who's a who's a father and and him talking about being away from his kids and things like that. I was like, I have to include this because it's so important that we don't shy away from talking about it in hopes that maybe it gets better mm -hmm. and we do get our 10 around 10 hour turnaround time and the, our weekends. But yeah, because it, and it's gotten better, but especially when my dad started in like 2004, it was awful. Mm -hmm. It was awful. I'm like, I don't think he ever slept. Yeah, I'm sure not. And it's such a really difficult thing to talk about, I think, for a lot of people within the industry. But yeah, yeah, I hope I didn't go too no, far. No, no, no. But it, it, it comes across very, very devotionally in terms of both being a beautiful, loving tribute to your father, as well as at the same time, this beautiful, loving tribute to Chucky. And so I want to thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, 
and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Mm-hmm.